Welcome to Same Team Forever, where we spend time with you talking about real-life relationship scenarios from a biblical and psychological point of view. Same team, friends and family, we are grateful to be with you today, just sending blessings wherever you are, and um, here with Dr. Britt, and we, we have a, a very important conversation to have today, and we'll jump right to it. So today's episode is specific to the things that we fight about the most, statistically, in our romantic relationships. Sex and money, people. Sex and money. Number one and then number two. Relationship issues. Relationship issues. So, Britt, when I was looking into having this conversation about what what conflict makes the most impact on romantic relationship, and I knew what they were, but I wanted to just verify them. So here I am, start Googling. And of course, it's exactly what you said. So, money and sex. Here's my question is, why those two? What's the deal with that? Well, research says, let's, let's just talk about sex first. Let's pick one and start there. So research says that when sex is good in a relationship, it accounts for up to 15% of the overall goodness in a relationship. That means it is literally the cherry on top. Bazinga. But if it's bad, if if there's dissatisfaction, if there are desire differences, if there are relational issues in terms of sex, it accounts for up to 75% of the overall negativity in a relationship. Wow. That's a lot, y'all. That's huge. That's the mass majority. Talk mm. about the elephant in the room. There's no air left in that room with the 75% being taken by that one. So the one of the reasons that I think that this happens is because our sexuality is tied to our overall personhood. Our sexuality is a part of who we are as a person. I mean, think about it. Like just from a gender perspective, and, I, and I'm not going to like jump off in the deep end on this conversation, but you're born with a gender. And then how you express that gender is a part of your sexuality, our personhood. So it can feel deeply rejecting when a spouse is like, you know what? No, I don't want to have sex with you. Or they deny it. Or there's frustrations. And it feels like an attack on personhood rather than like, no, I'm just not interested in that at this moment. Yeah. And Britt, help me with my opinion, because I'm over here just creating a, some sort of vivid story in my head um, for the sake of conversation. But when romantic relationships are new, we have this phase called the honeymoon phase. And when sex is involved in that, uh, typically everything is pretty exciting. It's fresh, high energy, or things to look forward to. And it's just a lot more fun because everything's relatively new. You're discovering each other for the first time. But as that wears off and life happens and that romantic relationship turns into something more long-term, that life can take the focus. And with that... Well, our brain stops washing itself with chemicals. So the chemicals that we, were, we once experienced... Uh, no longer are washing our brain. We are When we're first together, we are literally moved to get naked together. We are moved to do that. 
I mean, I don't, I'm not going to be overly graphic, but I don't know if you can remember when you were first with your partner and just holding their hand or just a kiss would have a physiological reaction that you're like your body was getting ready for sex. However, that changes. That is the, the, the thing that's there at first. And then we have to work to create that. The problem is, is that people just expect that it's going to look the way that it did when they were first together. And they, when they didn't have to be intentional about it, but now they have to be intentional about it. No, for sure. And I think that even as relationship ages, you start to see, um, uh, dissipation is the only word I can think of, but you start to see the affection, the romance, um, the sweetness, the, that feeling of being the, the chase being pursued starts to slow down. Well, you can, you don't have to. You, it, exactly. And I think not just on one end, but on both ends. As life happens and things be- begin to change, and our relationship goes from a low effort, uh, really a high cascade of feeling of when our time together, with our time together, um, to something that we really have to cultivate, that we have to work on um, creating that time together and building those bridges and really growing our attachment so that we can not really chase the feeling. And not that the feeling goes away. I think you said that really well, but it just evolves and it matures with time. It actually, in my opinion, becomes more satisfactory, but you don't have that initial butterflies in the stomach and really high erotic feeling, all those kind of things that you might get in the beginning. Well, I think another part of that is sexpectations. Your (laughs) expectations about sex. I remember when Josh and I were first married and... I had not been uh, very sexually active and I came into our marriage that way and everybody always talked about, you know, once you're married and, you know, all on your honeymoon, all they did was just have sex all day long. They went to this beautiful place and they barely saw it and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know what I'm talking about. We've read the books. So I had expectations about what our honeymoon was going to look like, what our sex life was going to be like as newlyweds. Newsflash, it looked absolutely nothing like that. Almost the exact opposite. Um, and that's a story for another day. But that caused dissatisfaction in our sex life, um, much to the place where when we were first married, I questioned, did I make the wrong choice? Yeah. Did I, did I, did I do the wrong thing? Did I marry the wrong man? This is not what I signed up for in marriage was to be a young and in my twenties and married to a man that wasn't really interested in me or it felt that way anyways. Yeah. And, and for, for folks who don't quite know us or getting to know us is that I had an incredibly, I'll use the word promiscuous, insanely. I say colorful, colorful, um, twenties. And so when I got to a place in my life where I was looking for something deeper and with more meaning, I had this, all these experiences, years and years of these uh, negative sexual experiences that I compartmentalize and I associated them with the shame and the guilt that, that, um, that I felt from them 
And I literally just tried to put them away. So when I found somebody that I cared about and fell in love with Brittany, I didn't associate that type of sex or that type of relationship with her. And that that's what caused the divide. It actually caused a lot of pain and tension and um, lots of tearful nights and things like that because I, I tried to separate myself. And sex was, at that point, something that was negative to me. Well, and that's not how God intended it. Because sex, our sexuality is a part of our personhood. So that's not how God intended for God is not a disjointed, disconnected God. He is a holistic God. And so when you think about that, you go, okay, well, that was really disconnected. And that's a part of the problem is Josh walked in with his own expectations of what married sex was supposed to look like in a Christian relationship that was actually detrimental to us. It was. It's absolutely that. Staying focused, though, on the question of why is sex such a, an area of conflict in relationship? Just to really nail that down, in my opinion, Dr. Britt, it's that we quit doing the consistent things. That we quit, maybe that we don't quit, but we don't quite focus as much when time goes on on the romance on focusing on one another, loving the other the way that they need to be loved, being kind, showing up and being gentle. That side of consistency is where romance is really built. That is where when we were dating, that was that was second nature. You you bought the flowers and you you made plans for dinner and you told your buddies, "Hey, I'm not hanging out with you this weekend. This weekend it's just me and the girl." And those are things that came natural. You fast forward a couple years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years. And our, our time together can look completely different. There's no pursuit. Well, the other part of that, Josh, you're talking about doing, but the other part of that is being because it feels rejecting. If your partner doesn't want to have sex, but it's not that it's, they don't want to have sex. And maybe that's exactly what it is, but it feels like they don't want me. And that's the part that can make sex such a struggle. And then people come from homes where many times, especially in the Christian world anyways, that it wasn't talked about. Or the only sex education they had was what they learned at school. And their parents put a box of condoms on their nightstand when they realized, oh, I think my child's having sex. But there was no conversation about it or the conversation in the church was don't. Not even sex is beautiful and wonderful in the context of marriage. And I know many of our listeners didn't wait till they were married because statistics would speak to that. What I am saying is we come into marriage and relationship with these expectations about what sex is supposed to look like. And the other one, Dr. Britt, is finance, is money. Big, big, big topic of fights in romantic relationships. Do you speak to that for a bit? Sure. Um, again, we come into relationship with expectations. We learned these things many times from our parents. Um, how much money we're supposed to make, what it should or should not be spent on, what is frivolous, what isn't. Um, sometimes people that come from families that were very financially well off or wealthy 
don't know how to manage money because they never had to or there was always plenty or they could buy whatever they wanted. But then they marry someone who, you know, maybe they're in their earning years. And so they're not quite up to what daddy was making. And so then they're in this place where they're overspending or they don't want anything to do with money or just believe that it's always going to be there. And then their spouse is really frustrated and not because they don't want their partner to have everything that they would ever dream of having, but because of the pressure that they began to feel or that it's one-sided, there is no team to this. It's my responsibility or even feeling like a failure. Like my husband or my wife wants this thing, but I don't make enough money to ensure that they have it. And men really carry that weight and it can pull up all of these negative feelings. That's so good. I do think you hit it right on the head when you, I mean, everything that you mentioned is tied to individual significance that there's so much, especially in America, chasing the dream, the rat race, keeping up with the Joneses. You go on Pinterest and other social medias like Instagram and Facebook, you get to see all these things that other people um, are projecting. And you feel like that's the currency of life. Well, we live in Frisco, Texas, and I call it the land of the $100,000 millionaire because most people in this area are dual income. Um, and not that we don't have stay-at-home parents for sure, but the $100,000 millionaire. And so these, these people are living like they make a lot of money, but... So many people, and this is an affluent area, so many people are paycheck to paycheck mm -hmm. that they are struggling to make ends meet, that there's so much frustration, but really they they make enough money to to survive and have a pretty solid life, but they want to keep up with the Joneses. They get the new car every two years and have to have those designer bags and the list goes on and on and on. And that's so true. I, I, I have a feeling that the significance piece is tied into the lifestyle piece. If my lifestyle looks a certain way, then I feel good about myself, or at least it appears that way. And yes, I'm willing to go into debt for it. And here's the deal. Scratch all the storytelling. It comes down to partners don't talk about it enough. We have really close friends of ours um, that we would that we love dearly. Shout out to Justin and Allegra. The McCullums. Um, they do finance so well. They're they're a, they're a young gun couple, but they are financially where most people are twenty years their senior. And the reason being is that they sit down often and have financial dates. Like they go on dates once a week. There you go. And they talk about their finances. They discuss where they're going, what their dreams are, what their goals are, where they currently are, and they make commitments and they see them through. But they talk about their finances often to the point where finance is not an issue. Matter of fact, it's a surplus where most people are so significantly tied to what that account or what their accounts look like. Dr. Britta, they're unwilling. I'm sure in your office, and you can't share this, but I'm sure you could speak to this, that Couples are currently, currently couples are more apt to meet the parents, be romantically involved, be sexually involved, cohabitate or live together, get married or not. But it's almost like the last thing that they're willing to do is even share financial accounts. 
Totally. Like that's more sacred than our bodies or than meet the parents or any other secrets that we reveal. Well, I think that that comes also down to the fact that finances are a safety net. Yep. It's an out. If I manage my own money, if if things go south with us, and if we don't have joint bank accounts, or if I have this account on the side that you don't know about, which A, says that I don't trust you, um, then it gets us into this place where it's easier to leave. And that's part of why finances are an issue. I mean, there are so many times where spouses really stick and I, I, this isn't always, so I don't want to like hit on women, but it is often women who say, I don't know anything about finances. I'm not good with numbers and they stick their head in the sand and they just go, you know what? That's my husband's job. I'm just going to let him take care of it. And hopefully he's really good with finances and he's read some books and talked to some people and has wise counsel and he invests and he saves and all of these things. But if he doesn't, you're in a pickle. Or if he feels like it's only his responsibility, but because you don't really care to know, then you just spend all the dollars. And he's stressed. I see that a lot. And because I, um, you know, we live in the land, I've said this of the $100,000 millionaire, um, I have couples that come see me and... Uh, sometimes they see me for a little bit, but then they can't come back because there's a car accident or, um, something happens unexpected. And because counseling is often discretionary funds, their discretionary funds dissipate. And so they can't, they can't come back in when really it's something that they need to have to take care of their relationship. So all of these things start to cause stress and then the blame game happens. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. If you just, if I just, if, if whatever, and really we don't take ownership. So I feel like I've just been sitting here talking so much and Josh has said nothing, which is kind of a miracle, honestly, if you know him. Watch it, buddy. Um, but that couples really have to choose to be same team with their finances. And Josh and I very recently actually had a a conversation about our finances. I'm not going to tell you all the things that were said, not that they were bad, but just going, okay, we need to do X, Y, and Z to get to our goals. And what, what are we willing to sacrifice? Where do we need to get on the same page as a couple to get to the, to get to our end goal? Because what we know is our goal rises and falls on us. So if we're not in it together, one of us will, is it sideline it? One of us will sideline it. So it's so important that we are, that we have goals, that we know what we want to do, that, that we know what money is coming in and what's going out and so that we can get where we want to get. And also, so when we're ready to retire someday, that we're not stressed. That's important. That's absolutely important. Thanks for sharing that. So let's go ahead and land this plane on both items. So two things to share. So as far as the sexual conflict goes, same team forever and how, how to create a same team with our sex and sexuality as couples. You guys, we're doing an event here in Frisco, Texas, September 10th and 11th which is a Friday, Saturday, and you can actually go right now to sameteamforever.com. Go ahead and get your tickets, reserve your spot. 
We want to make sure that you know that we're addressing both of these high-conflict areas. One, with an in-person event here in Frisco. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be I can't even can't even go. I'm just going to leave it where it is. It's going to be incredible. And the second one I'm going to commit us to, Dr. Britt, is the financial piece. You and I do a getaway at New Year's every single year. Well, this year we're going to take a little bit of time out of our personal getaway, and we're going to do a free vision. We're going to do a, a training on getting your vision together, your goals together, and your finances are going to be a part of that. But we're going to we're gonna spend some time with you in the new year working on that together. That's right. That's what we do for ourselves. is every single year we sit down and we evaluate our previous year's goals. We adjust them, vision casting, and then we create quarterly check-ins that we're going to get together, have dates three other times throughout the year and evaluate where we are and do the adjustments. So I don't want to give you everything right now, but to give you an idea of if look forward to this. So we've got Intimacy University in September. We want you to be with us in person. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much fun. High energy. It's going to be a blast. And then at New Year's, Look forward to creating your own same team, but a financial boot camp, a financial university that we're going to do free online. So keep an eye out for that. Um, go ahead and go to Instagram or Facebook. Find us and follow us. That way when we send the information out, you'll get the information as well as the live stream link. We look forward to seeing you then. Well, guys, we know that we are with you on this. Please know that we are with you on this. When it comes to sex and when it comes to finance and relationship, these are the two things, the two hurdles, the two areas of construction that we're going to consistently find ourselves in if we Welcome to Same Team Forever, where we spend time with you talking about real-life relationship scenarios from a biblical and psychological point of view. What it is all about. Guys, we love you. We're with you. We're speaking blessings your way, and we can't wait to talk to you again here soon. This is Josh with Same Team Forever, and we want to thank you for listening to the podcast. We so love relationships and are believing for God's best in your life. If you enjoyed today's conversation and don't want to miss another upload, subscribe to Same Team Forever podcast and take a few moments to leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more relationships around the world. For more great relationship content, upcoming events, and more Life with the Lashwas, follow and like Same Team Forever on Instagram and Facebook or visit sameteamforever.com.